This is Exploring Boys Education, the International Boys Schools Coalition monthly podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Collins. Together with thought leaders and educators from around the world, we'll dive deep into the evolving landscape of boys' education. We'll discuss its challenges and highlight the innovations driving its future. So whether you're a school leader, a teacher, parent, or just someone interested in the world of boys' education, you've come to the right place. This first episode of Season 5 has two parts. If you haven't yet listened to part one, skip back one episode before joining me and Matt Engler-Carlson as we continue our conversation about nurturing boys' mental and physical well-being. In this second part of this conversation, Matt highlights how boys' schools can foster a more open environment for dialogue and debates about masculinity and mental and physical health. He also explains the mind-body connection in boys and emphasizes a strength-based approach when working with young men. So without further ado, let's dive in where we left off in part one. When it comes to boys and men and it comes to masculinity, health is actually being adaptive and flexible, right? And we know that the majority of issues that boys and men experience on the negative side have a bit to do with a very rigid orientation in terms of, of their gender norms. Um, so that notion around culture, it's like, how do you create a space in which, in which you allow kind of the boys within that space to be adaptive and flexible to what they actually feel. Giving folks freedom to, to be and explore who, who they are and who they are becoming. Yeah. 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 How can educational institutions, schools, boys, schools foster, a more open environment for the kind of dialogue um, that is important about things like masculinities, mental and physical health, those things. How, how, do we, how do we create spaces where that debate is encouraged and not shut down? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think you know, I would start with a, a concept known as cultural humility, you know, so which essentially is, you don't know what you don't know. So if a boy is kind of telling you that he feels threatened of being canceled, for example, how do you know that's not true? <laughs> like, I, maybe what he's saying actually is true, at least from his experience it is, right? So what would it take for you to suspend your own judgment to get in the shoes of him and understand what he's actually experiencing. And could you actually, you know, and again, this is not, this is a larger global issue, of course, when it comes to debate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. But how do we suspend judgment and actually kind of say like, again, I don't know what I don't know. So help me understand what you're trying to say. Right. Um, And this notion again, like, as opposed to me telling you why it's not true instead saying, but what if it was true? Right. So what if it was true? So, you know, there's this question like, what is there space for? And what can be heard in these these kinds of spaces? And can you as adults in boys' lives who care, whether you're parents or educators or administrators, 
can you hear boys talk about things that you don't like? Right. So we can use some kind of certain examples around this. And I would say this is like, there are lots of things out there that I don't like that I find kind of harmful um, that I find disgusting. Right. That I, that, you know, and yet I also know that, that if I wanted to, I could access it in a fraction of a second. So if I wanted to watch Andrew Tate videos, I could get them in a second. If I wanted to go to a chat room and focus on misogyny, I could. If I wanted to go to a place to find white supremacist ideas or male supremacist ideas, I could find it in a fraction. It wouldn't be very hard because there are many people out there trying to draw your attention. You know, and so, um, so when you close down boys saying, I can't talk about this, trust me, there are other people who are happy to listen. Right. And, and what I mean by that is like, they'll take them in and allow a space for them to talk about these things that you can't talk about, you know? And so I think it's a little bit of, you know, it's a little bit of our head, our head in the sand. Like we, we don't want it to be true. <laughs> right. And I think part of it is, is there's also a bit, I think particularly in, in educational settings and boys schools is, you know, do we as, as concerned adults have the capacity to kind of have conversations around this in a way that that is developmentally appropriate and, and who is actually going to do it? Um, you know, but there's something up, but I mean by that, so there has to be spaces for us to kind of, have voice, have boys share their voice about things they're aware of, you know, things they're curious about. Um, and then we can figure out, you know, what's attractive into that? What draws you in around that? What is the message that um, you're being drawn to? Um, you know, and, and I think that's open dialogue. And it doesn't mean you're necessarily endorsing that. But there's a space because I, I do think like this notion of, I think we talked about this before. It's like for parents and for teachers and anyone who has a boy, like whether you like it or not, society is going to mold your child. And, you know, and technology is getting really good at it. I mean, there are thousands of engineers out there who are generating algorithms to feed you information um, that's going to steer your attention in a certain direction, right? So now more than ever, it's like, then there has to be a counter narrative to that. So how are you as a parent, as a school, as administrator, as a teacher offering an alternative to that, that actually promotes health, that promotes connectiveness, that, you know, that promotes social intelligence, um, and, and which means you have to talk about the other stuff and just saying, get off your phone or that's bad, frankly, is not going to work. It strikes me as you share, you know, we, we talk so much in, in the IBSC community about the power of relationship in boys schools and relational learning. And as you've been speaking, it just struck me that so much of what you are talking about hinges on building positive relationships with boys. 
Yeah. And boys respond so well to those, those intentional connections and knowing that they are seen and that they matter. And I think, you know, that investment in the relationship gives one an opportunity to have that kind of dialogue in a way that would have a positive impact on a boy and might be able to even shift his own understanding of how he shows up in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something about, like you mentioned the notion of being seen. And I think that like, again, it's this question around like what we selectively allow ourselves to see and how we like make certain things explicit, other things implicit. So we explicitly will we'll see a, a, a boy for academic achievement and we'll explicitly see him for athletic achievement and we can honor and validate that piece. And there's other things that we, we won't see, right? So we implicitly send a message, that's not okay or let's not talk about that. So the boy then keeps that inside. And either he maybe develops a feeling of shame around that, right? So clearly this isn't an acceptable kind of thing, right? But I still, I'm interested or I'm still doing it. I mean, an example of this would be, would be like pornography, for example, right? So, so it's actually readily available. People don't want to talk about it very much, yet clearly clearly it, it's, it's being used, Right. And so it becomes a secret thing that, that the boy or the man keeps to himself. And he probably has an internal shame cycle around that in terms of why it happens. And, and the more that happens, the tighter it gets wrapped inside in which he's not going to share. You know, so those relational places for, for people to realize that maybe they're not alone. Maybe other people are curious about this. And I think particularly with boys, it's like, or at least men in general, right? There is kind of an assumption that happens around masculinity. I think I've probably shared this with you before. It's like, I think one of my favorite findings is, is this notion that, you know, 50 plus years of research on, on gender norms and gender roles has taught us that when it comes to men, most men are in the middle. So when it comes to like a masculinity scale, right? most men are actually in the middle. So middling masculinity, right? Research also suggests that most men think they're not as masculine as they ought to be. And, and when they get around a group of other men, they think they're the least masculine person in the room. So thinking about this kind of piece, it's like, we, we almost have this, this, and I think it comes from societal norms is that because societal norms around masculinity are so rigid and tight that we assume most people are going to be tough and unfeeling and unemotional and stoic and not want to seek help and not want to do these kinds of things. Like there's a lot of knots in there, a lot of restrictive kind of things. And the fact of the matter is people are probably not as rigid as you think. Right. And how do we discover this? typically in relationships and groups is that at some point in that relationship or a group, you realize, Oh, this person is actually more like me than I thought. Right. And then something magical happens is then, you know, cause prior to that, what boys will do is they'll perform for each other. They're and they're performing for, you know, for each other. So that they can kind of match these norms that everyone thinks is important. 
So there's this theory, theory called precarious masculinity, which essentially is that one's masculinity or manhood um, is hard fought and easily lost. Men are not born, they're made. So like your strength as a masculine, your, 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 your masculine in any period, right, has a bit to do with how others perceive you, right? And so you're always trying to kind of create this environment in which you're at the top. And, and as most men will know, and most boys will know, and that's why you protect it so much because at any point you can lose it. And if that is never talked about, right, boys will just perform for each other. And you wonder why boys and men do stupid things. You wonder why one of the leading, leading causes of death for males 15 to 24 is accidents. It's because boys and men are doing stupid things like to perform for each other. It just feels like so much pressure. <sighs> yeah. You know, you know the, yeah. the weights of that, particularly, particularly I think in the age of, of social media where there is so much more for boys to compare themselves against. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about like I've done groups before with men and like there is a usually a period around like the fourth or fifth time you meet in which the guys in the group finally realize, oh, we're more alike than different. Yeah. Like, oh, you feel that way too. And you can almost see the pressure being relieved by like the guys begin to slouch a little bit more in their chair <laughs> and they stop trying to like to preen for each other. And they're like, oh, I can finally be me. How wonderful is that? <laughs> Matt, I want to, I want to sort of change tack a little bit here and I want to bring some of the physical. Yeah. Or the physicality of boys into this conversation. Um, and I wonder how you, how you see the relationship between physical and mental health in boys and young men. And um, how can schools think about positively supporting both aspects of those concurrently? I think we've touched on it a little bit here, you know, this this performance kind of tendency for performance that boys have. Um, in the school where I taught, we, we started seeing it at a stage, particularly in how much boys were, were, were walking, working out and, and strutting around the gym and, and obsessed with their physical appearance and how that communicated something to the outside world. Um, I don't know how you and your work have, have encountered this connection between the, the physical health and the mental health of boys and, and, and how we can encourage positive, positive well-being in, in a holistic sense in boys. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think I would just start by saying, I, I think I said earlier, it's like this notion of kind of a, like a biopsychosocial spiritual model is, is one way to start, which is thinking about the whole, like a, a boy's health holistically. Um, and there's a variety of things that kind of fit in that. Um, and I think when we think about like physical health, for example, like it's funny, like going to the gym and lifting weights and getting buff doesn't necessarily mean you're physically healthy. Like it, it, cause physical health has a lot to do with health behaviors. And, you know, for me, I, I'm actually really interested in health behaviors, um, particularly in, in school age boys and, and kind of early adolescence, because we, we know from the research that kind of health behaviors and early, early adolescence, um, become behaviors for life in many ways. So boys who show kind of at-risk health behaviors in their early teens tend to keep those behaviors throughout adulthood, you know, and it is a, 
it's one of those windows, right? It's one of those windows that you have as an educator or a parent to really reinforce some habits, like some good, healthy habits. And, um, you know, so I think there's something around absolutely. But I think, again, working out and being physically fit, that's great. Like, that's important. So is learning about, like, self-care and self-examination and understanding around things. Like, it's not, I know it's not very exciting to talk about sunscreen, but, you know. <laughs> so but, important. But, you know, I just came from the dermatologist, and let me tell you, it's important to talk yeah. about sunscreen, <laughs> right? And it's, you know, because we know that, that for example, men are less likely to use sunscreen, right? And so, and if we, if we, if we look at primarily in, in the Western world, where we look at kind of health disparities, particularly kind of mortality rates between, between men and, and women, what we see is that tends to be a gap of anywhere from three to seven years. And so the question is, why do men die earlier than women? And we know for the most part, it's not biology. It's, it's health behaviors. So we can go back and actually chart health behaviors as contributing to, to that earlier, early mortality rate. So I think what that means is that beginning to kind of have more conversations about, again, I know health class is not the most exciting place, but yet you got to find ways to make it exciting, right? That health becomes this larger kind of issue of taking care of oneself. And so I think, you know, when we think about that physical well-being, like we can also teach kind of skills to boys at a young age. I remember in third grade learning how to breathe and I learned how to meditate. And I learned how to center and I learned kind of these skills that, and I also got application and how to use them in my life. So I remember my dad coming in as the school counselor and he taught all of us how to do that. And I used that in, in giving presentations, academic settings, in sporting events, Right. And I think there's ways in which we can do things like that, that we can teach kind of always very practical, active-based skills, you know, breathing, meditation, self-talk kind of things that are actually pretty engaging and, and show them why it's important. One of my projects now is I, I work for an app called Mental. You know, and Mental is the first mental health app for men and you know, what we're doing in many ways is, is, is teaching skills like that. Like we're actually drawing upon like, like elements of, of the Navy SEAL protocol and what they teach Navy SEALs, how to develop mental toughness, how to reduce stress. I've been doing a lot of the work in, in the protocols too. And it's like what you learn in many ways is that when you experience stress, the common idea, for example, is that you kind of tense up and prepare to fight. And the reality is, is that when you experience stress or a threat, the thing you actually need to do is to, is to, is to calm yourself, right? So it's not tense up and hold your breath. It's actually lower your fists and regulate your breathing. <laughs> and I think these are kind of skills that I would, I would call physical kind of skills, right? That we learn because that actually then gets tied to emotional regulation, which, which for boys is a critical piece that often gets missed. And so I, so I think there's ways in which we can do that, um, which is kind of work on kind of healthier concepts around, around physical and mental kind of well-being. Because also, like I said earlier, this notion of action empathy, 
So that's a concept that's kind of used primarily looking at kind of boys in terms of boys and men and actually fathers as well, is that sometimes we think about empathy or connection as being like a face-to-face, like heartfelt conversation. But other ways with that we know that 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 males develop relationships is through action empathy, which is by doing. They do something together. And in the process of that, they're building connection. So like the parallel I kind of use is like you look into a cafe and you see two women kind of staring face to face and you think, oh, they're having an intimate conversation, right? Because that codes with my societal belief and what intimacy looks like. Then I look across the street and I see two guys digging a ditch. And I think there's two guys digging a ditch. Yeah, working. <laughs> I, I don't think, right. I don't think, oh, there's two guys having an intimate conversation. But chances are they're probably talking. And they're probably sharing and they're probably like sharing in a way about their lives. And that's also intimacy too. Yeah, absolutely. I have a sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a sense that as boys have access to healthier concepts of masculinities um, and as schools are able to help them understand, have a broader understanding of what it means to be a man, I have a sense that that in turn will promote both mental and physical well-being. Um, would, would that be a correct assumption? And is that something that schools can look at strategically and, and, and work on? Absolutely. I, I think absolutely. I think that like when you have broader understandings, it allows more space for people to be themselves. So it allows more space to kind of boys to be who they are. And it doesn't mean like, for example, I was thinking about this, that, you know, the idea of kind of, lifting weights in a gym and getting tough or getting strong is really something about outcome. You're trying to get to a certain outcome so that you look a certain type of way. Um, right. But the reality is, is that we should be teaching process, right? We should be teaching kind of boys how to engage in healthy processes. Right. So they may still lift weights, but we should teach them how to lift weights in a super healthy way. Right. That's actually appropriate for their age. Yeah. And combine that with other exercise that's going to, keep them fit and healthy too. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And you think about it in a holistic kind of way. And again, I go back to this thing. It's like, maybe we think that boys won't be interested in that. Um, I don't believe that's true. And I think if you actually, one of the best things here is like, who are their role models? All right. I mean, I live in the States. I live near Los Angeles. I mean, I mean, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player in the world, right? Um, LeBron meditates. You know, he has nutritionist. He cares about everything that goes into his body. Like, he actually very much cares about, again, a biopsychosocial spiritual approach to his well-being. You know, and so I just don't see him as like a pillar of strength, right? I see him as a well-rounded person, Right who is very team oriented, who has a lot of, of connections with friendships and teammates and, and, and as social connections. Right. And so he's a really good example of a holistic person. And I think that we can elevate the basketball skills. Right. But we also could elevate the other parts of this too. 
and give boys some really good role models. And I think, again, most professional athletes, for example, um, could speak to these types of things because you, you actually wouldn't be a professional athlete on pure skill alone. Yeah. You need those other pieces. You know, if you're, you need those other pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, this has been a fascinating conversation, but I, I do want to end on, uh, I mean, it's been a positive conversation throughout, but, and that's what's been exciting for me because I think so often when we speak about masculinity, there seems to be a negative perception of the journey that boys are. Um, and, and your work sort of emphasizes, I believe, a strength-based approach when working with boys and men, a sense of positivity. And I think as we close, maybe that could be an encouragement for our listeners. What, what do you mean by a strength-based approach? And, and why is this beneficial when working with, with boys? Yeah, I think it's like in some ways it's it's presents a bit of of a challenge for people because I think if um, you know I think people are are much more attuned at this point as well talking about harmful masculinities for example like they can point out the things that don't go well and, and again I can tell you what you should not do but it's hard for me to tell you what you should do and if you think about this as a as again, as a parent or as an educator working with boys, like if you don't have an idea of what you're aiming towards, it's really hard to chart a course, right? It's really hard to chart a course that actually has some type of direction. And it's also hard to know when you're going off course then, you know, so I think part of kind of a strength-based approach, you know, is about a healthy masculinities approach, which is a future focused kind of element approach. And what I've learned from working with men and boys in clinical places um, and some research about this too, is that, you know, when someone finds themselves in front of someone like me, right. um, They kind of come with their head hanging a little bit low as if they're in trouble. Right. And, and the first question they expect is like, you know, what did you do wrong? Right. So like the first question is like, you know, why are you here? And the response is like, oh, this thing happened and it went wrong. Or, you know, the question we don't say is like, where do you want to go? Yeah. Like who is, who is the, again, with men, who is the man you want to be with a boy? Who's the boy you want to be? Right. You know, as you, as you sit down, let's start by telling me kind of, where do you want to go? What, what part of you do you want to grow? Because the reality is, is if we start with the opposite, you know, tell me about all the things that, that are going wrong in your life. You can feel the air deflating out of the balloon at that moment. Like, and, and think about it. If, if you had to start every relationship with someone by saying, let me tell you all my, all the things I've done wrong in my life. <laughs> you wouldn't have any, you wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> Exactly. And you'd be like, this is a really, un, like, I don't really enjoy this relationship very much. Um, right. But it's almost like what you're, you're having boys do is like hang their head in shame and say, okay, here it is. Like here, here's all the things I did wrong. And, um, and what you're not doing in some ways is recognizing that there might be some things that are going right. Right. So, so a strength-based approach is kind of a shift of focusing on instead of deficits, looking at um, existing strengths 
And the idea is how do you, how do you leverage that right into a positive self-concept? Right. And so I think positive masculinity itself is kind of recognizing that there are, and I think this is one of those concepts I think is, is, is tricky at times, which is, you know, there are certain traits that society kind of encourages in boys and men. And these traits might be things like, you know, courage and independence and assertiveness. Right. And the reality is these are human traits, right? They are not just focused on males, right? They're human traits. Yet society does encourage kind of boys and men to adopt these kind of traits in certain ways, right? We know that courage, independence, and assertiveness, for example, um, can be positive and it can also be negative at times, right? So the key in understanding is how do you are, how you are adaptive with it. So in general, like I think traditional masculine norms, you know, encourage kind of boys and men to adopt these things in quite rigid ways. So you, you have to show independence and you have to show so like assertiveness and have to always appear to be in charge and you can't show emotions and it becomes very, very, very restrictive, almost like a straitjacket to the point that that's all you can do. Right. And the reality is, is there, there are times in which it's important to show courage and there are times when it's important to, to show something else, deference, right? There are times in which independence is valued and important. And there's times in which dependence is actually very, really, really important, right? And the understanding in terms of how can we elevate this notion to, under, to understand the difference, honestly, right? To understand that there's value in courage and independence and sort of, and there's value in flexibility, so I think part of that strength approach is that, and it's also, you know, frankly, the part of the strength approach for adults, adults and boys' lives is to understand the pressure and expectations and what it's like to be a boy today. It's to put yourself in his shoes and um, have an idea around social norms. Like, you know, th- for the past two weeks in, in my graduate level class, I've been teaching teaching about men and masculinities. I know that the six hours that my student Scott is probably the only six hours they're going to get period on this topic. And that most clinicians in the field in my field will never get anything about this. It's not standard practice to talk about, about this. And what I want to do is actually make my students experts and understanding contextual notions of gender norms and masculinity so that they have an informed approach to make sense of the, what's happening in the lives of their clients. And I think around that, I think, is this is understanding kind of how norms work and how they restrict and giving some flexibility for boys and men to figure out kind of how they can be themselves. Um, I think the last thing I would say around the, like less strength-based approach too is like, we talked about it earlier. It's like active engagement. Like for me, it's like often it means getting out of your office, <laughs> doing non-traditional things, uh, doing a shared activity, but just doing things that are more active and more conducive to maybe how a boy engages in his world. Matt, I get a sense that uh, we could probably talk for hours and hours about um, this and the rabbit hole could get quite deep, but um we, we, we are running out of time, but I'd, I'd love for you just in closing to maybe share some words of advice or encouragement 
for teachers and leaders who are working in boys' schools around the world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the first thing I would just say is thank you. It's just, just, just expressing appreciation for, for anyone who works in school settings, because I think that, um, I think we expect a lot from teachers and educators and that sometimes the expectations aren't terribly realistic. Um, and, and even things I will say, it's like, you know, it can be heard as a way of like more, more, more. <laughs> um, so with that caveat, I would say there's a bit more like, so part of, I would say on the advice piece is like, everybody has gender stereotypes, right? And I just read something last week is that when it comes to implicit bias, for example, some of the strongest implicit biases have to do with gender. All right. And in, in particular, more negative attributions towards men. All right. We also know other research that suggests that like when you see a human for the first time, the first thing you, you code is, is their sex. So you immediately identify male, female, and then everything loads on top of that, right? And what loads is other information, right? But also your biases, right? And so we all have some biases about kind of what is healthy and what's not and what's, and what's appropriate or not. And they're really well ingrained. I, I've actually really failed to meet anybody who doesn't have some strong held beliefs about, about gender, right? Because it is a, a core organizing principle in society. So I, th what I say around that means is that you have to challenge your beliefs. And what I mean by that is that move away from dogma and move away from stereotypes. And I would say, look at the evidence. Like, let's begin to look at the evidence. Let's look at some of the, what the research kind of says that's out there that helps us recognize kind of where concerns really are and what should we be paying attention to. And I think there's more of that emerging, um, which is really helpful, but really begin to look at, at kind of what some of the longitudinal evidence is saying about the lives of boys these days. It helps us kind of get into their head a little more and challenge some of the beliefs in terms of what, what we think it's supposed to be. Other two things I would say, of course, is that relationships matter. Like that's, you know, it, it, having good relationships is, is the factor that typically determines whether or not you have a long life. Right. And so like, as much as we're educators around uh, teaching kind of knowledge and concepts, you know, we're also, we are relationship teachers and building kind of really compassionate relationships with our students um, is important, you know, and I think in not devaluing the way that boys engage with each other, but really trying to find ways to elevate it. Um, and to, you know, cause I think it's really easy to write off kind of the way that boys engage sometimes is less than, and I guess I would say like kind of a lot of things that's not better or worse. It's, it might, might just be different. Right. And to lean in, into that curiosity around that. Matt, thank you for your time. I think I've kept you longer than I promised to, but this conversation has been fascinating and I know that our, <laughs> our listeners are going to benefit from just mulling over and, and 
uh, digging into what you have shared today. So thank you so much for your openness and your willingness to share and to be with us for this episode. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I trust that both parts of our first episode of season five have given you much pause for thought and have inspired you to continue championing boys' education. For more resources and opportunities to learn, please do visit www.theibsc.org.